Anyways, uh, some of you I know, some of you I don't, some of you might know me, some of you might not. So uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Jonas Larkin. I am campus pastor at South Wilson. So if you're wondering, you're like, he looks familiar. I think he's on staff, but I never see him. Uh, it's because I'm over South Wilson every Sunday. So uh, it is good to be with you this morning. Don't get to do that often, but excited to be here uh, this morning. That was my wife, Kelly, playing guitar over here. So uh, I told the first service, I was like, just to clarify, she was the one without the beard. They didn't really laugh. Okay, so you guys are humoring me a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I, I like to do when I'm here or, or want to try to do when I'm here is just let you know what's happening on the north side of town, um, ironically, at our South Wilson campus, right? That can be a little confusing sometimes. But because um, we're one church, two locations, I think it's important that you know what's happening elsewhere. And so um, just to kind of let you know, uh, one of the things that I'm excited about is we welcomed a new young family uh, as members last week and uh, excited about that. We've also got uh, a couple of uh, individuals or a few individuals, another family sort of in that process that are uh, wanting to become members. And so we're going through that, uh, excited about that. Uh, also, um, really excited about here in the next few weeks launching some uh, life groups at our South Wilson campus up, up to this point. I know they existed in the past, uh, but for the last uh, few months, we, we actually a little longer than that, uh, we haven't had any life groups, so we're excited to launch a couple of those to help some of our new uh, faces, young families get, get plugged in, uh, find a space where they can uh, build relationships and grow in community. Uh, and then the thing that, that I could geek out on and talk about for a while, but I will try not to, is I'm really excited about what the future holds at South Wilson. Um, and, and just to kind of explain that, if, if you don't know, um, the city recently annexed uh, about 30 acres directly across the road from our South Wilson campus. If you've, um, if you've ever been up there, you know that it's just a big field across the road, just a farm that grows grass. That's a thing. And so um, they've annexed about 30 acres of that into uh, R6 residential zoning. If you have no idea what that means, it basically means they can put as many family units in those 30 acres as uh, as possible. So it's, it's basically going to be uh, a very condensed living, um, kind of a living residential area. All that to say, it, it is not an exaggeration to say that in the next couple years, we could have hundreds of new families right outside our front door. And so I'm, man, I'm pumped about that. Um, I could geek out about that for a while, but here's what I want to do is just kind of remind you uh, not that you need reminding, but I just want to commend you for being a church that is willing to go. Right? It, it would have been easy. I wasn't here three, four, five years ago when these conversations were happening. It would have been easy to just say, let's stay where we are. It's easy here. It's comfortable here. Uh, but you didn't do that. Right? Under uh, Scott's leadership and, and the rest of the, the leadership, that, I know there's a committee that kind of explored some of those things. Uh, you took a step of faith, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. You took a step of faith and said, let's go where, uh, where more people are. And I, I just think the Lord's rewarding that faithfulness. Uh, it, I, I don't think it's by accident or by uh, coincidence. Right? We're, the, we're, I mean, we're people of God. We don't believe in those things. 
I believe the Lord has providentially placed us where we are for such a time as this. Right? It, what I get excited about is to think about all those families, right, that men, women, children that, that are going to have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus um, because we're, we're right there, right? We're right there for them. And so, um, man, just, just encourage you to continue uh, to pray for us, continue to give financially that we might meet people and reach people. And, uh, man, we're, we're looking forward to that. We're going we're gonna to plant and we're going to water and we're going to ask the Lord to give the growth in the years to come. So, anyways, again, I could talk about that all day, but that's not why you're here. So let's redirect to our, uh, our sermon series where we've been the last few weeks uh, in a series called Going Places. I believe, if I did the math right, this is the sixth week. Um, and so we've been, if, if you've been with us, you know we've been in the book of Exodus kind of in between chapters 15 and 20, just following the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, through the wilderness. And we left off last week. They were at Mount Sinai uh, where they just received the Ten Commandments from Uh, from Moses as as God gave those to him. Uh, And so we're going to close out that series this morning, but we're going to do so from the book of Hebrews. All right, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be if you want to go ahead and find that. Uh, And and maybe you're thinking, why are we going to finish out a series in Exodus in the book of Hebrews? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. That's what's next in my notes. So um, here's what I want to do. I want to I'm going to try to briefly connect the dots from Exodus 20 to Hebrews 11. Okay, I said briefly. It was pretty brief in the first service, but this is the second service. I don't have time constraints, right? I can let my hair down a little bit. Um, Plus, my wife and the very patient people at South Wilson would tell you, I don't know how to do anything briefly, but I'm going to try. Okay, so Exodus 20 to Hebrews 11. Here's Here's the roadmap, the story, try to connect the dots. So we left off last week, Exodus 20, the people of God received uh, the Ten Commandments. They would go on, receive the rest of God's law. Uh, They're in sort of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, And and really from that point, like out of that, the the rest of the Old Testament, uh, this is a very oversimplified version The rest of the Old Testament is the people of God sort of swinging back and forth between obedience to God's law and disobedience to God's law, between uh, honoring God with their lives, between rebelling against God, between faithfulness and faithlessness. That is essentially uh, the story of of the Old Testament, and it's marked by because of their inconsistencies and their rebellion and their their periods of faithlessness. The Old Testament is marked by, I mean, there's, there's wars, there's fighting, there's, uh, there's divisions. Uh, ultimately, it, it kind of comes to a close towards the end of the Old Testament with the people of God, the Israelites, in exile. So it's not the same as slavery in Egypt, but it's, it's similar, right? They find themselves um, out, drawn out of the land that was theirs, and instead they are enslaved uh, or, or captive uh, exiles in another land, right? And, and yet despite, right, despite all their sin, all their rebellion, all the, the moving back and forth between honoring God and rebelling against God, uh, there's this constant refrain in the Old Testament, this constant promise, this, this sort of thread that weaves its way in and out of the Old Testament, that there is 
a Messiah coming. Right? There's a Savior coming. There's, there's one who's going to come and save God's people from their sin to set up his kingdom to rule and reign forever. And then you get to the book of Malachi and the Old Testament closes and there's 400 years of silence from God. Right? I, I, I know that, that page between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? One page in your Bible, but that one page represents 400 years where there was no, uh, no word from a prophet, no signs, no wonders, just 400 years of silence. And then you flip to Matthew chapter 1. You begin to get the lineage that, that leads to the announcement of Jesus' birth. Right? And that's where the, the New Testament picks up with the, uh, the announcement or the birth of this Jewish child who would be named Jesus because as the angel told his parents, he, would, he had come to save his people from their sins. And so in the birth of Jesus, uh, we get the beginnings of this fil- fulfillment of this promise that, that weaved its way all the way through the Old Testament. Right? This is the story that we read in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus grows up, begins his ministry, performs signs, wonders, miracles, healings, kind of prove who he is, uh, the, the Son of God. He lives a perfect, sinless life, whereas, whereas the Israelites could not obey God's law perfectly. Right? Jesus does obey God's law perfectly. He's perfect. He's sinless. Ultimately, he goes to the cross. He's crucified to, to absorb all of God's wrath towards sin. And then three days later, he rises from the grave to, to prove that he is stronger than sin, uh, to prove that his payment on the cross was sufficient uh, to pay the penalty of sin. As I like to say, he, he proved the check cleared on the third day. Right? And so what happens then, so that leaves us at, at the end of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the news of that begins to spread, right? This is the book of Acts. As the news of this uh, risen Savior begins to spread, the disciples, they go from being sort of uh, cowering in fear on Good Friday. Now, all of a sudden, after the resurrection, they're, they're going out, they're preaching, they're teaching, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Uh, they're in, in Jerusalem and Judea and kind of the surrounding areas. And what happens is some of the first people to hear the gospel Some of the first people to hear the good news of Jesus and respond to it are first century Jews. Israelites living in Jerusalem at that time. And these would have been direct descendants of the same people that were enslaved in Egypt, that Moses led out of Egypt through the wilderness to Mount Sinai where we left them last week. You you trace that people on down the line, and it was their uh, ancestors here now in first century Jerusalem were some of the first people to hear the good news that, that Jesus had risen from the grave. And they're some of the first people to respond and place their faith in Jesus. But what they find is being a follower of Jesus in first century was not easy. Right? The, the first century church was... Uh, one, it was, it was new. Right? This is a new thing. And you think churches are difficult now. Imagine being like the, one of the first churches, right? Trying to figure that thing out, right? And so it wasn't easy being a follower of Jesus, but on top of that, there's, there's persecutions, there's hostilities, there's tensions. And so what these first century Jewish Christians 
faced was a very real temptation to say, you know what? It was easier to just live the way we were, sort of following the law, obeying the law, all that. Uh, Life was easier before we surrendered our lives to Jesus, before we put our faith in Jesus. Why don't we go back to that? And so the book of Hebrews, which we're going to be in this morning, was written to primarily first century Jewish Christians to say, hey, Jesus is better. Right? Don't turn back to what, where you were. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that that you, as a, as a, as a Jew, a practicing Jew, all the, the sacrifices, all the things you read about in the Old Testament, uh, Jesus is the one who fulfilled all those. Right? He, he is worth your worship. He's worth your obedience. He's worth your praise. He's worth your life. Right? Trust him. Live by faith in him. That's what the book of Hebrews is, is about. And specifically here in Hebrews 11, you got sort of what's called the hall of faith. Right? That's what uh, scholars and theologians and people smarter than me call Hebrews 11. And it's just this list of individuals from Israel's past. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, all of these people that, that lived by, exemplified faith uh, when it wasn't always easy to do so. Right? And it's meant to encourage these first century Jewish Christians to live by faith when it's not easy to do so. Right? And that brings us to Moses, the story of Moses in Hebrews 11, in verse 23. So I'm going to read verses 23 through 28. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. I'll go ahead and add in verse 29. It says, By faith, the people that Moses led crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they were, tempt- when they were attempted to do the same, were drowned. So what you see uh, reading through that is just over and over and over again this phrase, by faith, by faith. By faith. And like I said, if you zoom out and look at all of chapter 11, that's the constant refrain is by faith. Uh, look what these uh, names of old, look what they did. Right? And so that is uh, what it says here about Moses. And so kind of the, the summary, if, if, if we see anything about Moses' life here in Hebrews 11, it's that Moses' life was shaped and marked by uh, this, this unwavering faith and trust in an unseen God. Right, we're, we're not saying that Moses is perfect. Right? In fact, we're going to hit part of a story here in just a second that's going to reveal he's not. But at the, like, 
in looking back, like stepping back and looking at all of Moses' life on display, here's what we've got is a life marked by faith, trust, and obedience in the unseen God. And we actually see it first, not even in Moses himself. Or you jump back a generation to Moses' parents. That's what we read in verse 23. Right? If you, you know the story, uh, you can go all the way back to Exodus 1, Exodus 2, and, and, and read about it. Um, Moses was born into a world, right, as an as a, a Israelite male child born into Egypt. He was born into a world in which he should have been cast into the Nile. Right? That was the, the king's orders. All of the newborn Israelite males to be thrown into, um, thrown into the river. Right? It's, it's government-ordered uh, genocide. But Moses' parents, by faith, right, revered and feared uh, the, the unseen God more than the government's orders, the king's orders. He said, no, no we're going we're gonna to obey the Lord before we obey uh, the, the sinful orders of, of a corrupt king, Pharaoh. And, and this is conjecture, so I'm going to step away from the Bible. But I, I have to believe, I have to believe that, that Moses, the faith of Moses' parents played some role in, in Moses' faith too. And I say that, I think... Uh, as Moses grows up in, in the, the house of Pharaoh, like I, I'm just inclined to believe that maybe as he got older and he kind of heard the stories about how he was uh, found by Pharaoh's daughter in a basket and he starts connecting the dots and retracing the steps and realizing like, wait a second, I should have been thrown into the Nile, but instead I was put in a basket and floated down the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter found me. He begins to realize, wait a second, my parents defied the order's of the king to preserve my life. Like I just have to wonder that that planted something in Moses. Now now I believe that God is sovereign over, I believe that God had a plan for Moses' life before Moses was born. But I also believe that the God who's sovereign over the ends is also sovereign over the means by which he accomplishes those ends. And so maybe it's the the seed of faith was planted by Moses' parents. But we also see uh, Moses himself, right? that's who we're focusing on. Moses himself goes on and um, see him choosing faith. This is what is in verses 24 through 26. Right? You kind of see the, the progression of, of Moses growing up and making this conscious decision for himself to, uh, to identify with the people of God, the Israelites, rather than the people of Egypt. All right now, um, to be clear, there, there's no recorded uh, letter of resignation that, that Moses submits. Right? I don't think there's any point where he's like, I would like to renounce my place here. I'm going to join over here. Uh, we, we don't have that recorded, but I would contend that what we have is something much more significant than that. Right? If you go back to Exodus 2, there's this moment where Moses, as, right, as a uh, part of the Egyptian royal family, is kind of out watching uh, the, the Israelite slaves do their labor, and he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and, and he snaps. Right? He, he takes what's probably righteous anger, but then uh, 
pursued in sinful ways and he snaps and he murders this guy and buries him in the sand. Right, I, I would suggest that's a little stronger than a resignation letter. Right, because what he's done is he's, uh, he's, he's burned the ships. There's no going back now. Right, he's identified himself with the people of God. And then the author of Hebrews, he, he goes on in verses 25 and 26, kind of gives us a little more insight into Moses' decision. He says that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then he goes on in verse 26 to say that, that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And now it's easy to kind of read that. You know, we read it a few thousand years later and look at that and we're like, oh yeah, good job, Moses. Great work. Way to make good choices. Right? But, but I was just, th think about Moses here for a second. He was an adopted son in the royal family. Right, so I, I don't know where your mind goes when you think about the most powerful, prominent, uh, wealthy family, or uh, I don't know where your mind goes when you think of that, but, but think that and then more. All right, Egyptian, or Egyptian, Egypt was the most powerful, significant, um, prominent power in the world at this time. Moses had access to the kind of pleasures that you and I can only dream of. Like, I, I don't know, like, what kind of stuff you got going on at home, what kind of toys you got to play with, right? What, Moses had more, right? I, he had access to the treasures of Egypt, is what it says. This is, uh, would remind you that Israel found themselves enslaved in Egypt because they didn't have any food where they were, so they went to Egypt to get food. Egypt was a place that had an abundance of wealth, treasures, material uh, possessions. Right? Moses had all that at his fingertips. Right? He could have snapped his fingers and it was his. Right? Or if material possessions and money and that's not your thing. Um, remember, he's, he's an adopted son in the most powerful family in the world. They, he had access to the kind of uh, political power and influence that, that people still act like idiots to try and get today. Am I allowed to say that? There's kids in the room. I'm sorry. Uh, and he gave it all up. He gave all of it up. He could have had it all. And instead, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Right, he, he considered the reproach of Christ. In other words, he kind of chose the way of Christ, even though he didn't know about Jesus yet. Right, This is coming. Jesus comes on the scene after the fact. But he chose the reproach of Christ. He chose to be treated in, in a way similar to the way Christ was treated. He chose that over the, the wealth and the treasures of, of Egypt. He... He gave up the kind of wealth, 
pleasures, power uh, that, that, that we cannot fathom and, and instead turned his back on all those things and chose a life of danger, uh, destitution, mistreatment, scorn, suffering. Now what in the world would motivate Moses to do that? Right? Couldn't he have just sort of like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify with the people of God, but I'm going to do it quietly. I'm going to just lay low in the palace. God knows my heart. Could have, I guess. But in a way, like to do that would be to, to turn his back on, on, on the Lord, to turn his back on these people that were the Lord's people. And here's, here's his motivation for it. We see it in verse 26. It says, For he was looking to the reward. Right, what possesses Moses to give up all of this and choose a life uh, of, of wandering in the wilderness one day? I mean, he didn't know it at the time, but right, what would possess him to choose to be mistreated with the people of God over the abundance of all that he could have uh, in Egypt? And it's because he was looking to a reward. And the reward he was looking to was not the promised land. Right, remember this, this. When Moses chooses to identify with the people of God, he doesn't know what awaits him. He acts by faith. We read this thousands of years later and we're like, well, yeah, of course he would leave uh, Egypt and, and hang out with the Israelites because, like, you know, he's going to, the burning bush and God's going to use him and he's going to walk through the Red Sea and there's going to be, you know, cloud by day and fire by night and manna from heaven and going to be all these cool things like he's going to get to talk to God on the mountain and the Ten Commandments. Moses doesn't know any of that. Right? Moses is not omniscient. But he does have faith in an omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, sovereign God. And so he can, he can say like, I've, I've got access to all this here in Egypt. but I'm going to entrust myself and by faith, I'm going, to be, I'm going to choose to align myself with Israel, the people of God, align myself with the God of the Bible. Right? He, he gives all that stuff up to align himself with the Lord. And, and I just asked, man, how did he, how did he do it? Right? Even if you fast forward in the story and you think about Right, leading the people out of Egypt and all the grumbling and complaining and quarreling that he experienced in, in the wilderness that we've looked at over the last few weeks. Right, how does he endure with these people right, for, for 40 years? Can you just imagine 40 years of just hanging out with complaining, grumbling people? If you've been married for more than 40 years, don't say anything. Okay. How does he do it? By faith. By faith. By trusting his future, come what may, by trusting his future to the unseen 
God. Here's what Moses did. He he willingly chose to give up the the fleeting pleasures of sin, to give up the treasures and the the, the wealth of Egypt. He, He chose to be mistreated with the people of God and ultimately... Right, aligned himself with, with a kingdom that was not of this world. That's, that's what Moses did. He looked to what was unseen. Right, it would have been easy to look at where he was in Egypt and say, like, this, this is a place where I can trust. This is a place where uh, I have access to all that I need. This is a place where I'll never have to do without. This is a place where I'll have power and authority and influence and he could have had all those things and instead he he says no I'm going to look to the reward that is unseen because all that Egypt had to offer as as abundant and enjoyable and pleasurable as it was it was fleeting temporary transient it had an expiration date right Here's, here's how one of the resources I read this week, here's how it, it took this passage in Hebrews 11 and just kind of summarized it, this, this sort of uh, short synopsis of, of Moses' life. Here's what the author said. He says, Moses' whole life is marked by awareness of the presence and power of the unseen God and believing obedience to his word. Moses' life was marked by an awareness of God's presence and power. And because of that, he lived in obedience to it. Not perfectly. But by and large, he said, I want to follow, obey, trust, place my faith in God. And and that's the direction his life went. And so we bring this to a point of application this morning. I would just ask him the same be said for you. I'm not asking if you're as awesome as Moses. That's not what I'm asking. But I'm just asking if you were to kind of step back and sort of evaluate uh, your life. And I'm talking like more than, I mean, we all have our moments, right? We can be honest in church. We all have moments where like, no, I was not trusting the Lord there. right? But as you look back and sort of evaluate your life, Is there a growing awareness of God's presence and power in in the middle of of whatever difficulties you might face? Moses had plenty of difficulties, plenty of challenges. He still lived by faith. He was aware of God's presence and power. Are, Are you aware of God's presence and power? Even in, maybe especially in the difficult seasons of life. Is, we talked about Moses was shaped by increasing obedience to God's word and following God's command. Is, is your life increasingly shaped and formed by obedience to God's word? Right? Even when it's unpopular. Right? I, we live in a world to, to hold to any sort of biblical standard on anything is a good way to be written off as out of date and irrelevant. And I would just say, is that the path you want to follow? Or are you going to follow in obedience to God's word?
Is your hope and confidence placed in uh, placed in things that are seen here on, on this earth? Is it is your confidence rooted in uh, who's in office or who has influence or or is your confidence rooted in the God who is sitting on his throne, sovereignly ruling and reigning over it all? Is your, is your joy found in the, the temporary, transient, fleeting pleasures of this world, good as they may be for a, a season? Right? Is, is your joy rooted in, in what you get here and now? The rewards here and now. Things that that one day will end up in a garage sale or a landfill. I mean, is that, is that really what you want to tie your joy to? Right, all these are just questions meant to sort of uh, help us diagnose, like, what are we really putting faith in? Putting faith in, in money, in possessions, in power, and we could put our faith in any number of things. And I just think the, the, the story of Moses here is meant to, to lift our eyes up away from things that are seen and temporary and transient and fleeting and to fix our eyes on that which is eternal. Right? Moses, a man who had access to, to any sort of temporary pleasure he wanted, and he said, no, I'd rather be mistreated with the people of God that enjoy just the fleeting pleasures that this world has to offer. Right? The, the life of Moses, all of Hebrews 11, really meant to lift our eyes to look to that which is eternal. That's where we would place our hope. That's where we place our confidence. That's where we would place our trust. And that by faith we would walk towards that and live towards that end. And so... As we move towards just a, a time of response, here's what I want to let. I just want to let the Bible prompt us to respond the way that we should respond. All right, so if you fast forward to the end of Hebrews 11, you get all these examples of, of people who live by faith. And then here's how the author of Hebrews sort of prompts us to respond because of that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore... Meaning, based on what you just heard and read, all these examples of people who live by faith in the unseen God, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, like Abraham, like Ozi, I just made up a name, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all these names, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Lay aside the, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Lay aside the, the temporary uh, wealth and treasures of 21st century America. And let us run with endurance, patience, perseverance, even in the difficult days, the difficult seasons. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Right, looking to Jesus. 
Jesus is our reward. If we're going to live by faith, if we're going to do like Moses and, and, and look to the reward and live a life motivated by that and driven by that, it means looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, turning your attention on Jesus. And so, in just a minute, the band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song. We're talking about living by faith and responding by faith. They're just going to sing a song, and the lyrics of the song are, just give me faith to trust what you say. And so, our response this morning is I would ask that you just make this song your prayer this morning. Ask the Lord to give you increased faith in, in, in wherever you need it, right? It's going to look different for all of us in this room. We're on different paths in life, different stages in life. Some of us are a little further along than others. Some of us are realizing we're not as far along as we thought we should be, right? Maybe that's just me. And so my encouragement to you is to make the, make the words of this song your, your prayer, right? Ask the Lord to increase your faith and your trust Ask him to reveal where you've rooted your confidence in things that are temporary. Ask him to redirect your eyes and your gaze and your attention and your focus to the things that are eternal. Right? Or, or maybe you're here this morning and, and all you've ever known is to place your faith in temporary things because you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus to begin with. That's you this morning. I'll just invite you right, to lift your eyes up away from the temporary things of this world that will not ultimately satisfy you and to place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life, where the Bible says there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So that the the pleasures of this world are, it's not that they're always bad things, not always. It's just that there's a greater pleasure, a greater joy that awaits those who live by faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so would you stand with me this morning? I don't know what responding looks like for you this morning, but uh, I'm just, before the band plays, just want to pray and ask the Spirit of God to do what only He can do to encourage, to convict, to prompt us to respond. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning uh, grateful that you are, as we just sang a few minutes ago, that the same God that we read about in Exodus, the same God that we read about in the life of Moses, you are the same God today. Let's Lord, help us to live by greater faith in you. If there's any here this morning that have never, or never placed their faith in, in you, never, never responded to the good news of Jesus, I pray that you would convict them of that. I pray that they would, would repent or leave the fleeting pleasures of sin and, and place their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life. For the many more of us in this room that are tempted daily goodness, not even daily, minute by minute, to, to place our trust and faith in the temporary things that are seen. I, I pray that you would lift our eyes 
Lord, lift our, 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 our hearts and our minds to see that we live not for the treasures of this earth. We live not for the things that, uh, that, that can be destroyed by moth and rust or the, uh, the, the thief can break in and destroy, but help us to live by faith, looking to the reward that awaits us, an eternal reward. Lord, remind us that we live and labor and serve and give and follow for a reward that, that never ends. Where we'll one day experience the fullness of joy and pleasures forever. Lord, may that be what motivates us to live by faith, to align ourselves with you, and to, to, to leave everything else behind. So Lord, prompt us as uh, you see fit. Lord, move us to respond as we should. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.